Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, the CMPU, in association with 898 Authentic Rock and Roll, proudly present the ultimate catalog collection. Now the story of a wealthy family that lost everything and the one son who had no choice but to keep them all together. It's the ultimate catalog clash. What do you think, Corey? So are our arrested development geeks more ornery or less ornery than Star Wars geeks? I've never seen Arrested Development. I didn't know where that was. I, I thought you were going to like go into like the Law and Order uh, intro or something. <laughs> I was like, what's well, this from? That's what the, the next intro is just going to be the ding, ding. <laughs> <laughs> In the CMPU. Dude, like, yeah, Arrested Development. The first three seasons, don't watch the reboot because it, it just okay. didn't work. But the first three seasons, you it's amazing. Absolutely amazing. It's on my list. It's on my list. I just haven't got to. That and Parks and Rec are the two that... I'm told, and it's always sunny. Uh, John has been trying to get me into that forever, and I watched the first episode and thought, oh, that's pretty good, and then yeah. just haven't had time to get back into it. So, I'm the same with Sunny in Philadelphia. I was the same thing. I watched a couple, and I was like, it's okay. It's probably one of those that you do need to spend a bit of time, but there's a lot of seasons of it, too. Oh, yeah. You know, Unreal. Parks and Rec, though, man. Parks and Rec is uh, top five American sitcoms that I've ever seen, at least. So, uh, I'm a pretty big fan of The Office, so the fact that it came from the brain trust of The Office yeah. holds a lot of credence with me because... I still quote The Office every single day. My family does too. We rewatch it. Instead of watching a new series, we'll go back and rewatch The Office. So That's funny. I haven't seen the American one just because I love the English one so much that it's just a big leap, you know? So, well, but, but yeah. Once you get into season two of the American one where it kind of gets away from all the British one, like yeah. the, the American pilot is a remake of the British pilot. And then the next five episodes are, are different, but it kind of keeps that same undertone. But it really finds its voice uh, in season two. And it just takes off, and it is just glorious. It's, well, it's, that, it's my favorite show. I think Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant wrote the first, or were part of the writing team for the first season, the American one too, right? I'm yes. fairly sure that's right. So I, I, that's probably where the tone switch comes, is when the American writers think, okay, well, we've got the sense of this now. We know what this is now. We're good now. You can just leave us. You, mm-hmm. you can just go back to your mansions and sit, and just, we'll just send the millions to you. You can have, you know, do whatever you want, but you can lay on it, you can burn it, whatever you want to do with it, but we'll, we'll take it from here, so... That makes sense. Well, and it barely got renewed. Like the first six episodes of season one uh, didn't do well. Uh, yeah. So it was kind of like a Seinfeld uh, thing where Seinfeld got a four episode first season and it didn't do well. But somebody at the network is like, I like this show enough. Let's give it another season. And then it kind of yeah. hit its stride. It was the same thing with The Office. The first episode of season two of The Office is The Dundies, where Michael Scott holds an award show for The Office and it's sublime. It's it's wonderful. <laughs> one, I've lost his name. Steve Carell, yeah. I love as an actor. So I'm sure that if I take some time and, and go and watch, I'm sure I would love it. So yeah, my eldest daughter is a is a, a huge fan. She's seen it, seen every episode at least twice. I think so. Is, is she around? Could she hop on the call then? I'd rather talk about that than. Uh, sure. no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I want to do an office rewatch podcast. Maybe we should, you've never seen it. I watch. I rewatch it once a year. Maybe we should do a rewatch podcast. Why not? I mean, we don't need to sleep, right? <laughs> no, fuck it. We need more shows in the CMPU. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. Office aside, um, this is the ultimate catalog clash, where myself and Corey Morissette take on the discography of one artist or band per season to find out which album will emerge as that artist's best. 
Uh, we also have a side bet each season to find out who picks the next artist. Uh, and on the season wrap episode, we will be joined by our friend Scott Askin, who will tell us who has won this side bet. Each episode sees us review the songs on one side of an album, awarding 10 points for music, 10 for lyrics, and 5 for production. At the end of the episode, Corey and I will have a score out of 25 to award to this side of the album. And once we're done, we'll have a cumulative score of 100. Um, so once we have all the albums rated, we will know what the rankings are, and that'll be a fun thing to talk about, whether we think that those are right even. Because, you know, as we sort of recap some of the scores, I've thought, well, I don't know if I think that that should be that high or maybe that low. So, um, but of course, this season we are talking about Phil Collins' era Genesis. And we're in the final episode, Corey. The final sort of side, uh, album side episode anyway. Crazy. We, I mean, it feels like we just started and we're almost done the first season. I know. Yeah, we're, we're just about an hour away from wrapping up this record and then getting Scott on a call and uh, going through the, the final analysis. But uh, we did uh, Side C last week. Uh, this week we're doing side D again. It's only three songs. Uh, so what we're doing for We Can't Dance, because uh, this is a big thing with the band, actually, with uh, uh, We Can't Dance, was they released it on CD so they could fit a lot more music on it. Originally, they were thinking, oh, we can make this a double album until they realized there's not really albums anymore in 1991. We could put it out on CD and just have 15 songs. Or uh, I guess uh, 12, I, I think, was, was the final tally, but there's some pretty long ones on here. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there, was- there's uh, three per side if you get the vinyl version. And there's two 10-minute songs and one Dreaming While You Sleep seven-some minutes long, right? That's right. And uh, there's only one song that clocks in under four minutes, and that's uh, Never a Time. Which, again, I mean, we've talked a little bit on various songs, and Corey and I sometimes differ on which are the two, two long songs. But I think there is a bit of, I think there might be a bit of padding on this album, Corey. And I think that's something maybe we should talk about on the, on the album wrap, is do we want to talk about if we were going to condense this and sort of try and make it a bit tighter and resequence it, what would that look like? And I think there are ways of making this album a wee bit tighter in spots. Oh, I agree. And uh, we just did almost an entire side of uh, filler uh, last week, uh, at least in my opinion. I know there's yep. one that stood out a little bit more for you. Uh, go back and listen to that episode if you haven't yet to find out what it is. But uh, we got three more we're going to talk about here tonight before we get into that. Let's start uh, with uh, side D, track number 10, Sound check twice, never officially played live. Uh, this is a Mike Rutherford track called Way of the World. When was the last time in a Genesis song you can remember drums, bass, and guitar, no keyboard? Has that ever happened? Not sure. I'd have to go back and really think about it, but... Do we count the sound effects on the beginning of I Can't Dance? Nope. Well, <laughs> well that, then that, that one maybe. That is synth. That's, that's Tony. That is, Tony yeah. came up with that, right? So, yeah. Um, I like how, how, you know, when it breaks into that sort of minor key, um, the, the, the verse sort of pr- uh, progression, I love the space in this. Like, there's so much space in this song that it makes Phil Collins' vocal really ring through. And again, like we talked uh, last week about, which, um, Hold On My Heart, is an understated vocal. I think this is another one that's this, it's in that same ballpark where he's not belting, he's not really stretching for any of these notes, but his voice is really, 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 really good. 
the one thing I found really interesting about this song was the contrast between Mike and Phil, which is not a relationship you hear a ton about, about being adversarial. But this song is very much kind of a clapback to Phil's song from the last uh, side we did, Tell Me Why, where he was bitching and moaning about all sorts of things in the world. This is kind of the, uh, this is the way of the world. Quit your bitching. If you don't like it, do something about it type of song. So yeah. it was really kind of, and, and it actually, one of my notes I, I made was, was this the song that broke Genesis up? Because I, I found a <laughs> quote from Phil where he said, uh, uh, quote, I was flying somewhere with uh, manager Tony Smith, and I told him the way I was feeling. I think I'm leaving it now. I don't think I want to go to that group situation where I have to sing lyrics that I didn't write. So I think he uh, felt this was maybe kind of a shot at him and his uh, lyrics and tell me why. That's really interesting. And I know that, you know, you speak to any, I mean, we both know musicians and gigging musicians and, well, my dad, I've talked to my dad years and years ago. My dad, when I was growing up, my dad was always in sort of cover bands. And I said to him, I was like, how did you choose which songs? He said, well, you know, we'd all come in with different ideas and songs that we liked and we'd see when especially we knew them, we could play them. He said, but ultimately it came down to whether the singer liked it. Because if the singer doesn't like it, you can't sell it. So you totally get where Phil's coming from. He's, he's reached this place now where in his, in his solo career, he's kind of bigger than Genesis, I think, probably at that point. In terms of sales and, you know, ticket sales and things, he's probably at least as big as or bigger than Genesis. Why would you want to sing Tony Banks and Mark Rutherford lyrics if you don't have to, you know? Well, he's the biggest artist in the world. He's the Taylor Swift, or like we said last week, of the uh, early 90s, right? So, yeah, yeah except, why would you? Except, but, except good. Except good, there you go. But you, you kind of feel that in this song a little bit, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, you're sitting there shaking your head, but uh, <laughs> even though Phil's not really selling it vocally, yeah. I, I like the melody. He's doing some kind of, we talked about uh, his his, uh, his hits, uh, his offbeat hits on the drums uh, last week. He's kind of mm -hmm. doing that here again too, which is really kind of nice. I, yeah. I like the pleasing melody underneath. I like the harmonies. Uh, I, I enjoy this chorus much more than something uh, like, uh, what the fuck do we have last week? Uh, Living Forever. Yeah. To me... It... <laughs> I've never loved this chorus because the change, because I really like that, the verse progression. Because it's kind of like, if you remember um, uh, Just a Job to Do, that's got, an, albeit that's a, that's a faster tempo, it's, it's a different sort of thing, but it's got, it, it, it has that sinister thing that this has in the verse. It's got a bit of it, you know, because it's that minor key and it feels quite tense and apprehensive because it doesn't really resolve at all. And it's more or less one chord through that section. When it breaks into this very sunny, bouncy thing, it takes me out of that mood. And I find that quite clashy. And then what I was actually shaking my head at, Corey, was there's right and there's wrong, there's weak and there's strong. Again, we, we, you know, we talk about this band that, at its best, writes fantastic lyrics. All three of them have written some fantastic lyrics. I just think that's really, that's really poor. I think it's a very staid, trite, juvenile lyric again. You know, this, it's the same thing we talked about, Tell Me Why. I just... I don't know. 
I don't buy it, man. I just don't buy it. Lyrically, it is weak. Uh, in, in the verse, the lyric is, why is there blue sky? Why is there red sky? Uh, now is the time to ask the reason, should the blue sky beat the red sky? Like, yeah, it's, it's not great. I'll give you that, sure. And that's a really kind of weird lyric too, but I, I like the way that Phil sings that. And again, because it's over top of that minor key thing where I think that that suits it. Whereas again, when we break into this big major key thing, for me, it just, it's okay. Well, tonally, what is this song then? Is it positive? Like, it's just the way the world, is that, oh, it's just the way the world, it's okay, don't worry about it. Or is it, oh, it's just the way the world, fuck it. It just doesn't, it's just a bit inconsistent, I think. No, I agree with you. Uh, I, I found a, a quote from Mike about the song where he says, quote, it's good to try and put things right, but you shouldn't forget there will always be a balance of highs and lows in the world. Phil's the caring one and I'm the uncaring one. <laughs> well, there you go then, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, play from here a little bit because... The, when the bass comes in here, it's doubled, I think, by a synth bass, and you get Tony playing now. He also adds in like this cool little arpeggiated lick. So again, and you know, take the danger out of the naked flame, and what have you got? Well, you know, if you take the danger out of the naked flame, what you've got is the fucking chorus of this song, because you've taken all <laughs> the risk and danger and fun out of it. But if you just listen to this, I think that this change and the way that they move the this portion of the song is very, very good. You see what I mean, though? Like that big, bright chorus. When he, this is great. This is, I think, this is fantastic. This verse bit, and then the chorus bit's just like, oh well, it's just sort of dropped off a cliff now, and I don't care about this. But it's just a bit wishy-washy. With that, I love that. It kind of reminds me of the tonal change in "Tell Me Why," where the, the lyrics don't match the, the the music. Right? It's kind of the same yeah. thing. These are really kind of sister songs. Uh, that's why when we vote to resequence the album, I'm kicking them both off. But. <laughs> If Tony Banks was shit-faced in Soho and someone put a small 61-note Casio keyboard in front of him at 3 o'clock in the morning, he could play that solo without opening his, fucking his, without opening his eyes. It's lame. <laughs> it's so paint-by-numbers, boring. I just He's done things like that better than that so many times in the catalogue that I just think that solo is so weak and completely unnecessary. Let Mike have a lead there if you're going to do something there. Where's my fuck you Tony Banks t-shirt you were supposed to design? Get that picture of him in the sweater and, and just put fuck you Tony Banks underneath. Like, come on. I agree. We'll, no, it's, We'll sell one. <laughs> it'll be to me and I'll wear it every fucking day and I don't care. No. <laughs> I agree. Like, I, I, I didn't mind the tone of it so much. It does sound like a, uh, you said Casio keyboard. I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that tone from the old Casio oh, keyboard. Man. I think it's on there. Yeah. But the, the, yeah. melodically, this song works well enough for me. Like, I, I really dig the melody, and I, I almost kind of like it's a middle finger to Phil, because Phil kind of offends me with his a high on the horse, we have to fix <laughs> homelessness, I just don't want to do anything meaningful to do that yeah. type horse shit, where this is Mike telling him to fuck off, get off your high horse, 
This is the way of the world. If you don't like it, change it instead of bitching about it. <laughs> and, and that he does this on a happy little uh, refrain, like uh, Phil did on Tell Me Why, to me is like chef's kiss. Like that is just a perfect <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, what are your scores for this one, Corey? Well, I tell you what, uh, musically, because of that, everything I just said, I gave it an eight. Because I, I liked musically a lot about it, and I like that it's just kind of a middle finger to Phil. Because Phil, when he gets preachy uh, and all that, there's a way to do it and there's a way to to not do it and on this album like jesus he knows me is the way to do it when you want to call out televangelist and all that horse shit perfect absolutely Absolutely. perfect phil is great at that he's a little too preachy on side c of this record uh and so i like that musically he kind of lampoons phil a little bit i don't know if that's the intention that's what i took away that's why i gave it an eight uh lyrically i gave it a six it's not great um, I, I do like the chorus. I know you didn't. I, I kind of like the chorus. There's a lot of clunky lines, though. Blue yeah. sky, red sky. Uh, I agree. Uh, a lot of things in here that are just kind of, you know, not very interesting. But I still rated it above average because th- there's enough in here that kind of make me like it. And uh, three and a half uh, for a production at 540. Uh, it's too long. Uh, but I, I do enjoy, even though Phil's not really selling the song vocally, the melodies are nice. Uh you know, I can hear the Casio keyboard nice and clearly. Uh, <laughs> so I, I'm going to give it slightly above average. So for me, yeah. and I know you're going to wildly disagree, but eight, six, and three and a half. What did you think? Well, I mean, you think I'm going to wildly disagree. Well, check this out. 7.5 for music. Oh, Because nice. look, I don't, like I said, I don't love the chorus and it, I don't love it musically. I don't love it lyrically either, but I don't love it musically because it just takes me out of the song. But I love, love, love that verse prog- verse progression. I think that's like, Man, just do something with that. That's your hook. That's the song. Not the big, happy, everyone give everyone a hug, feel good fucking bullshit in the middle. Let's do that because the dark thing's really cool. Um, I like that Phil's holding his vocal back. I think that's very, very cool as well. Like I said, you know what? In terms of vocals, this album is, a again, it's Phil Collins in peak. Peak Phil Collins mode. He just can sing anything and sing it well. But again, just that major key, it just weakens the impact of the song a bit for me. Uh, lyrically, I went six. So same thing. Um, it's better than tell me why, but it's still a bit maudlin, preachy, big meshes that doesn't quite land for me, right? Um, there is that one line though that I, I, I just kind of highlighted actually as a sort of a, a case in point that take the danger out of a naked flame. And I talked about this. Uh, what have you got? If you take the anger out of a broken heart, you feel no pain. That's a great fucking line. So you can write really good lyrics. Why not make a bit more of an effort, Michael? You spend a bit more time writing your bloody words down. Um, production, I went 3.5. You know, the tempo and rhythm of this song never changes. Again, it's one of those songs that doesn't really, you know, quote-unquote, go anywhere. It's too long, as you said, in this arrangement. Um, the chorus section, actually, I think, could have made a decent bridge. If you do that for about 30 seconds to just change that minor key and then write a minor key chorus, I think it would have probably been pretty good. Um, so I think it's one really strong idea and one very average idea, and for me, they just don't come together and they don't work. So 7.56 and 3.5 for me, Corey. All right, Kevin, let's see what you think about this one. Uh, This is uh, uh, Never Played Live by Genesis. This is called Since I Lost You.
Okay, before we get too deep, is that sleigh bells? Okay. Here's, I'm going to read out my, a sentence in my notes for you. Always thought it has an almost Christmassy feel to it. <laughs> With it being in three-quarter time and those super echoey reverb drums and what sounds like sleigh bells is exactly what I'd written down. What the I, fuck? Like, I, I don't I had, think they a, are. It has a Christmas tone to it. Sleigh bells, question mark, was my note. So <laughs> it sounds like sleigh bells, though. And, and this yeah. is so weird because it's a, a song about the death of Eric Clapton's son, Connor. And, uh, you know, shortly after uh, Connor passed away, uh, Tony and Mike played Phil uh, this uh, the, the song, and he just kind of, you know, wrote some lyrics on the spot. And this is pretty much what came out was yeah. what he was feeling about his friend losing his son. So for a parent, like both Kevin and I are, it's absolutely horrific to even think uh, about losing a child. So lyrically, the, this this song really kind of is a smack upside the head. Yeah. And it's that difficult thing when you're dealing with sort of, you know, because we, we always try and be ob as objective as we can. Obviously, subjective, subjectivity is always going to come into it. But with you um, two episodes ago with Dreaming While You yeah. Sleep, you said that you just can't disconnect that you know, what your experience, your lived experience from the lyrics of that song. And it's the same thing with this one. Like you said, as a parent, there's no way that if you know what this song's about, there's no way you can't not connect with this mm -hmm. because you know exactly what that would feel like. And the, the lyrics are going to, they're going to rip your fucking heart out of your chest, you know? Yep. But get rid of the sleigh bells or whatever the fuck that is. Cause it it's, sounds like sleigh bells. I was listening to it again. At, Cause I, listen, when I wrote that down, I'm like, I can't, it's not sleigh bells. So go back it can't like, be. Yeah. I think what it is is because the the symbols are they've, what they I think what they basically done is taken all the bass, all the bottom end off the symbol, and I think what he's doing is he's, he's riding the crash, and I think they're taking all the treble off that. So I think it's and they're putting it through like a I don't know a, a delay or a phase or something that makes it sound doesn't it actually when you listen to it really closely it doesn't sound like a sleigh bell it just does if you're not paying attention and it just and once that's in there. It sticks in your fucking brain and won't go away. And it's like, oh, yeah, no, wait, uh, no. No, it can't be a sleigh bell. But I had exactly the same thing. It does sound Christmassy. Wait, are you saying I don't pay attention, you son of a bitch? I'm, I'm saying none of us really do. Because I wasn't, so yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of tuned out when you were talking there, to be honest with you. But... What, what were we saying? What song were we on? Yeah. You know, I, I want to go back to Phil. He says, uh, and, I, and I quote, uh, at the mixing stage of We Can't Dance, I go sit with Eric on his sofa, explain what I've done, and I play him since I lost you. We both start crying. Thank you, man, he says. That's lovely. Then he says that he's written a song as well, and he wants my opinion. Eric then plays me Tears in Heaven. It's a beautiful <laughs> song. It is grief. Eric has pulled together something extraordinary. Okay, look. We're putting those two songs side by side. Let's not talk about the Genesis song, because Tears from Heaven is one of the most just emotionally devastating songs anyone's ever written. And I'm not, a huge Eric, I'm not a huge Eric Clapton fan, more so in recent years because it turns out that he's a bit of a dick. Yeah. But that song is just, it, that it's hard to get through. As a parent, that is very, very difficult to get through. 100%. And in some instances, you got to separate the art from the artist. Like if Kid Rock wrote totally. Tears in Heaven, I'd be like, that's a brilliant song by Kid Rock. Who would have thunk? And it's kind of the same thing with Eric Clapton, even though yeah. he's a pretty good guitar player. But yeah, kind of a dick, like you said. He's pretty, he's pretty good. He's all right. Well, you know, he's, all, he's all right. He's probably be pretty good in a, in a shitty bar band. He'll be okay. You know, Eddie Van Halen liked him, so that's good enough for me. <laughs> I really 
like the doo-wop quality uh, uh, of the song. Yeah. But there's something bland in Phil's vocal. Like for such an emotional song, with such an emotional themes and, and lyrics and stuff, he's not really belting this out like he did say, yeah. uh, I wish it would rain down from uh, But Seriously. Right? Like he is singing the fuck out of this song, or out of that song. And this one, he's yeah. just kind of, well, my, like he's just really kind of phoning it in, isn't he? That's a good parallel too, though, because who played on... I wish Eric it Clapton. Mr. Yeah. Eric Clapton, yeah. I wonder, that sometimes that's just the key the song's in too, because I think if you bump this up, I don't know, three semitones, then Phil can punch, right? But I don't think he can really punch that in this range because it's not quite in that, he's not quite in that belting zone yet. Um, I totally get what you mean. It's not, and again, I just, I always think that, I always give these guys the credit of the doubt, uh, credit of the doubt, the benefit of the doubt, where I think that he's decided to sing in that way for a specific reason. I don't know what that is. And I don't know if it was necessarily the right thing, but I was with the harmonies in this section, Corey. I was going to ask you: Have you ever heard of a band called Sad Cafe? No. Okay, so you know Mike and the Mechanics, obviously. Mm-hmm. So one of the, they had two lead singers, Paul Carrick and Paul Young. Paul Young was also the lead singer in Sad Cafe, who okay. a band that I think you'd probably like. I'll probably send you, maybe I'll send you a couple of tracks. Sure. The harmonies in this section, like you said, it's got that it's got that doo-wop quality to it. It's almost like a it's not barbershop, but it's not a million miles away from it. The way it's arranged. And that chorus, that choral sort of um, texture really reminds me of Sad Cafe and a few times on their, in their discography that they went there. So, yeah. Okay. Well, I know f- exactly why Bill's saying it that way is because then they wouldn't play it around Christmas time. <laughs> <laughs> Rudolph the Red Nose, motherfucker. No. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, it sounded so much like the uh, Eric Clapton solo from I Wish It Would Rain Down. Tone and everything, right? And I wonder about that because we've talked about this a little bit too previously about, you know, I think it was Mama we were talking about, right, where um, Phil brings back this lyric and that's got to inform, okay, you know what, actually, we've got this song, so let's 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 not do what we thought we were going to do. Let's leave that out and build and build and build and build and build and build and build. And build. I'm thinking that when Phil comes back and says, hey, I've written this lyric, and I, I guess he didn't tell them what it was about originally, but then when they find out it's about Clapton's son, I'm sure that changes the way Mark Rutherford plays that solo because it is a very, it's way more bluesy than anything Mark Rutherford's done to this point. Exactly, and that, I put that down too. Like It sounds like he's emulating Eric Clapton. Yeah. All right, and to that point, I didn't really have it, uh, much else on this song, did you? Well, I just, again, like, we stopped it just as that came in, but Phil... When he comes back in, you were talking about his flat delivery. He actually does crack when he comes back in here. And again, that's super, super cool. So last one small thing then, 335, when he sings, he sings that. Ah. If you listen to the way he sings it here, his intonation is different. He changes it just to ch- change the song up a little bit and add something in different. So he's ha, ah, ah, and he, he emphasizes each note where before it was, I don't know, if it's a musical term, we say glissando, where it all sort of blends together. Here he really punches it. And again, I, I like when vocalists do that just, just to change it. Because if you sing it the same way every time, it's just a bit boring, and that's what holding my heart maybe suffers from a little bit. They don't do that. But this one, it just changes the texture of it just a little bit. All right, well, I believe it's your turn to go first. What are your rankings on Since I Lost You? 
Okay, so on Music 6, it's a very simple piece of music. It's a nice chord progression and tonally it works with the lyrics of the song, but it's just a bit... Again, it, it's, just, it's just okay. For Genesis, it's just okay. Lyrics, I went with 8, because they're kind of the right side of schmaltzy for me. And like we said, you know, as, as a parent, I can only imagine what Clapton went through, uh, you know, in that time of his life. And I, I, it, it, this kind of expresses it very well lyrically, right? It, it does kind of hit the marks. Um, uh, it seems in a moment your whole world can shatter. Like morning dreams, they just disappear. That's great. I mean, that, that's a, like I said, that's a very strong line. And it shows you that the two songs we criticized that Phil wrote, it's like, we know you can write good lyrics. Just sit down and spend a bit of time, you prick. Um, production. <laughs> This is 2.5 I went. Ooh. And this is my complaint with this song. It's just a bit... Eh. It's the weakest sonic moment on the whole record where I don't think that production choice, you know, that, that super low, washed-out drums, there's no acoustic instruments on this at all. You know, it's all electronic drums, keyboards, there's no guitar in it, really, apart from that, you know, the few licks here and there. Um and it's tough because Genesis don't really do acoustic guitar and piano numbers, but I think a really stripped back arrangement of this would work very, very well. And I wanted to show maybe I'll just send you this quickly in the chat here, Corey, and you can play a few seconds of this because I found a link of someone playing this just on an acoustic guitar. Okay. And it works really, really well. It seems in a moment It sounds so much more personal. No sleigh bells, you know, no whatever, no <laughs> none of that sort of sort of washed out thing. I think it just sounds more intimate, more personal when you play it more stripped down. And it's one of the very few Genesis songs, really, that we've covered at least, that you could do this solo on a guitar or just on a piano or have a piano and guitar accompaniment. It's one of those songs that you can play like this where there's not too many of those. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. Uh, I'm not too far off from you. Uh, surprisingly, uh, music I gave it a seven. Uh, the sleigh bells bothered me. I don't. I don't care if they're <laughs> if, if they're a ride symbol with all the trouble taken out, or if they put it through a, a flange or whatever the fuck. Sounds dumb. <laughs> don't do that uh, on a piece like this. You don't need that. Uh, it, it didn't really work for me. Uh, so musically, I gave it a seven. Uh, lyrically, I gave it an eight. Uh, again, it's 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 heartbreaking. Uh, Verses like oh now you'll never see. Well, now you'll never know all the things I planned for you, things for you and me. Like as a parent, that just, it's yeah. a fucking gut punch. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it's a tough song to listen to uh, when you're a parent. Uh, but the, the chorus didn't really land for me because my heart is broken in pieces. Like, uh, I don't know, it, it, it could have been better uh, in the chorus. So I only gave it an eight for, for lyrics. Yeah. And production, I gave it a 3.5. I didn't, I wasn't as bothered as you were on the production of this one, but I, I totally get it. Yeah, uh, it, it just didn't bug me uh, quite as much, but I, I I agree with all the points you made. So seven, eight, and three and a half for me. I was just looking again at the lyrics. I get, I pick any line really out of the song. He said the chorus doesn't land maybe for you, but I held your hand so tightly that I couldn't let it go. Uh, now how can life ever be the same? Holy fucking shut Jesus. up! I, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna fucking log <laughs> off the call and go hug my kids. That's what I'm gonna do. You prick. <laughs> well, as a parent, I don't know, Corey, if, if you've ever done this, but. When my kids were little, not so much anymore because they're teenagers now and they might still be awake, but I used to love going into their rooms and just peeking on them when they were sleeping. And just because that stillness that children have when they sleep, it's just that thing that parents, it just fills your heart with so much love. 
that again these lyrics just absolutely tear it all down and uh, yeah it they're even actually they're even tougher to read than to fucking listen to to be honest when you yeah, read them as a, read them as a sort of a, as a piece it's like bloody hell so Clapton must have been in bits when Phil Collins you know sort of showed him what he'd done so I know I know all right so that's since I lost you never played uh, by the band we're gonna get into a song that was played 117 times though. Uh, I don't want to talk about this one. Let's just go right to our final album grade, shall we? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, I think because this one's, it's just like a bit of a, a bit of padding at the end of the album, right? Exactly. Oh, Kevin would shoot me if we didn't talk about Fading Lights. My, uh, my aim here is to play as much of this song as I possibly can. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not going to be putting my hand up. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I absolutely adore that warm synth pad that Tony chooses here. We've talked again. We've talked lots about, I don't know if that's necessarily the right tone, you know, and the, the, the part's good or whatever, but and we're gonna, everything about this song, I think tonally, Tony gets exactly right. Um, and again, it's mainly suspended chords where he's stepping one note down on the right hand, or he's moving the sort of the, the root notes down on the left hand. So you get this very gradual, very sort of warm, easy, comfortable chord progression that you sort of know where it's going, but it feels good. It's, 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 got, a, it's got a very warm, very comfortable feel to me. It really does. And uh, it, it really kind of fits the whole theme of the song which kind of sums up kind of the end of Phil Collins' era Genesis. It's such a great closing song, not only for this record, but for Phil's time in the band. Completely agree. That's a fucking, that's, I think actually probably my, well, you know, there's lots of favorite things about this song, but might be my favorite Genesis opening line. Another time it might've been so different, or if only we could do it all again. And again, we talked, you know, the last song about being parents, time moves too quickly and your parents, your kids grow and they end up being these weird, different little people who don't talk to you and just live in the rooms as hobbits and whatnot. And I wish I could go back and hold them again as babies. So there's that nostalgic look, look, look back. And then, but now it's just another fading memory out of focus, though the outline still remains. And that's that thing as we get older, we don't really, or certainly I don't, Corey, I don't know about you, but I don't remember, I, my memories aren't sort of video. The more 
sort of feelings and I can, it's a sketch. I can, like if I, I know what it felt like and I could fill it all in if you gave me enough information, but it's that idea that I think Tony Banks gets across brilliantly with those two lines. It's maybe some of his best writing lyrically that he's ever done. Yeah. Uh, I agree. Uh, out of focus though, the outline still remains to me that as an old man now of 49, I'm thinking like that's, that's my whole life right now. Everything yeah. seems out of focus, <laughs> but the outline's still there. I remember what I felt like in that moment. Don't. Yeah. Note perfect. Very well done. We've talked lots about Phil's vocal, and again, I mean, this is just a, a killer, killer vocal. He's in that upper register, but he's not belting. It's not mama. It's not, you know, his, his big rock, Phil Collins' voice. It's that gorgeous sort of soprano that he can do. What's that? I guess alto would be a soprano, but alto thing that he does, where he's, there's enough sort of meat in his voice, but it's just transcendent. And man, again, far away, away, fading distant light. So it's movement away from something. We, we, I think we take the piss out of Tony's lyrics quite rightly sometimes. But as you said, he gets everything right about this one because you get that sense of movement away, a passage of time or whatever it is, right? So, And, and you could tell Phil was really digging this one. And uh, here, here's a quote uh, from Phil about how he approached this record. He said, quote, I approached this album with a little bit of trepidation. I didn't know. I'd been out on the road with my band for 10 months playing my music, and I loved it. I really had a great time. I did, but seriously, you know, solo albums are great fun to do. And I thought, a Genesis album? Well, we'll do it, but I wonder what, what it's going to be like, because I don't know. I genuinely didn't know. And after a couple of days, when you see the kind of material that's coming out from just the three of us being in the room, you think, yes, this is good fun. I am enjoying it. <laughs> and so it's almost when I say at the end of it, it's great. I'm really proud of it. It's actually more surprised, you know, that I'm surprised it actually turned out as good as it did. Yeah, and it... As you said, I mean, talk about a perfect coda to an era of a band. I mean, of course, I'd, I'd pro they probably didn't know that this was the last record they were going to make. But I don't know. I've, I don't think I've ever read anything where they said, yeah, this is definitely the last one. But Fading Lights, like you said, and we're going, we're going to talk about this a little bit in, in the middle section of this song. There are looks back to the Genesis catalog in this song, mm -hmm. you know, sonically and, and, and then whatever. But lyrically, yeah, it's this, it's this retrospective. So as, as the last track on the last album of Genesis proper, as most people consider it. Holy shit. What a way to go. So I wonder when this song was written in the process. And I, Used to, I think I used to know, but I can't remember now because there is a documentary on We Can't Dance that I deliberately didn't watch before we started the season because I wanted to come in and really focus in on the music rather than sort of the the stories behind it. But when he says, um, you know, like the story we wish was never ending, we know sometime we must reach the final page. That's again about impermanence, you know, and sort of the transient nature of life. And that carries over from the last song we just heard 
but this time it's a bit more wistful and it's not necessarily unhappy. So I wonder whether this the lyrics for this were written after Tony had heard some of these other songs because there's a couple of times where in this song he kind of stitches together ideas from different songs on this album. Yeah, I'd be curious to know where it was in, in, in the development of the album. I don't know if that documentary is going to tell us much because they've talked quite a bit about how whenever somebody from the documentary crew would walk into a room, they would just shut down yeah. and just didn't know how to act. And, you know, I don't know if that's yeah. a really true representation of, of the band as opposed to something like uh, uh, Come Rain or Shine, uh, which is a wonderful documentary about the band now, or in 2007 yeah. anyway, getting ready for their uh, reunion tour. It's a lot of fun. You know, to this point, especially on the two sides, the last two weeks, the songs we've talked about, you know, we've had some fairly, I would use the adjective ponderous, ballads you know and so so far this song is what with three minutes and a bit in or three and a half minutes in you think oh man we're getting another like is this fucking snowbound like what, what are we getting here what, what's going on well we get a bit of a left a bit of a left turn here Dude, I mean, come on. If you're a Genesis fan, like I, we were online lots and, you know, there's a lot of people who, there are people who listen to our show or, or in the periphery of it who are hardcore Genesis fans who just dismiss them after, I don't know, probably about Duke. So everything from Duke was shit and it was poppy. If you're a Genesis fan and you're a Tony Banks fan and you're a prog rock fan, the section we're heading into in this song now, if you don't like this, I don't think you're really a prog rock fan. <laughs> and the stuff already that we've got going on here, those, like I said, and Phil was doing it earlier, I can't remember which song it was, maybe last week, those snare rolls that he's doing. Yep. And he's giving these, and we've got that big gated reverb tom sound again. You've got this big bombastic sound, but you can hear everything. It's, the mix on this song is unreal. It's as good or better let's, than anything on this album. Listen to those cymbals. Oh, the cymbals is what really stands out to me. They sound so great. But what's okay. the loudest instrument during this whole fucking piece? The keyboards. Wow, this is Tony Banks' song, man. This is <laughs> this is the song where Tony Banks just says, "Hey, you know what? I can play. I'm going to show you." Should we keep her going from here? What do you think of that keyboard tone? Phenomenal. Yeah? Absolutely phenomenal. I mean, it's... I'd written down, like, because Tony doesn't always get the tone right. I don't think he always gets the, the sound right for the song. And I'm guessing that you don't love it, but I, to me, it's, it sounds like a lead instrument. It almost sounds like a guitar, the way he's playing it. it totally, it doesn't, but the notes that he's playing and the way he's playing them, it sounds like a guitar is playing those notes. And it's got this phase flange thing on there. Yeah, it, and it's mixed right up where it needs to be. Like you said, I think it was something... One of the keyboard parts on a song this week or last week, we said, can't hear it. This one, I mean, it's front and center where it needs to be. This is the showcase. Yeah, and I, I don't uh, hate it for sure. I, it's not my favorite, but it's yeah. it's pretty good. 
uh, I'm, I'm a little below uh, something about that tone down was just kind of like Ugh, a little yeah. off-putting in the way it sounds but it's 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 cool sounding I, I don't hate it for sure I love it so much <laughs> <laughs> oh I could tell I could tell should we just skip to the end now or do you got any more hey 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 what the fuck <laughs> if you, no if you go to I mean honestly I've got well too many but you know what we're pretty we're ahead of time here so 442 listen to how Phil matches Tony on the rundown. So Tony plays this descending progression and Phil matches him on the drum fill that he plays into the, into the, you know, those big dan, 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 that sound. Great transition. I almost accidentally heard a guitar. <laughs> There's loads of guitar in this. You just can't really hear it. And yeah, it bugs me. I want more it. of that. Yeah, it's just texture. It's because Tony's soloing, but he's also playing. Like, there's also a pad going on. There's a lot of keyboard in this song, but there's a lot of guitar in it too. Because Mike's actually playing chicka chicka ching ching chicka ching. Like he's got. It's not. That was almost. Um... If you change your mind, take a chance on me. Also, that's <laughs> what I was doing there. That's not the right fucking song. But he's playing this really sort of. Um, syncopated uh, guitar rhythm guitar part that when you break it out, it's like fucking hell, yeah. That's it. Just adds so much to it because it breaks up. And man, like the syncopation all over. The, sorry, I'm. This is a song that, I, like I said to you, I can talk for hours and hours and hours about. So, well, my next timestamp was five oh seven. We're right close to it. Jeff. Yeah, it's that minor key change. Yeah. You're a fan of a hat lift, aren't you, Corey? Oh, yeah. Love me a good one? hat lift. Love that hat lift, yeah. <laughs> and what Drums I love about in, it... In general, are just fantastic on this. What, it, what I love about it, too, is because he, he doesn't go... He goes... He, he plays a hat lift, miss a note, and then play two. Yeah. So, again, I mean, it's when you, when you try to play Phil Collins' drum licks, you think, yeah, I could probably get close to it. And then you try and play it, and you think, yeah, I got nothing. I don't even... I, I can follow it now and again, and but then just like, ah, whatever. But do you think that too this sound this section of this solo really reminds me of Domino? And I think it's that really sort of high pitched sustained note that Tony plays when because he does that in you know in the still of the night in that section of Domino. It's that same kind of tense kind of feeling that you get from that song. Hundred uh, percent. This song really took me back to Ripples and to Domino, and, yeah. and largely Domino in this section here. It's a little slower. Uh, uh, tempo wise than, than Domino was, but it, it's definitely constructed in the same vein. Okay, now I get to break up my Mike Rutherford impression because this is what he said. He said, oh, it kind of sounds like, you know, the boat going up the Nile, slow-moving ship in the water, that kind of thing, up the Nile. Because they originally called this Nile. Yeah. Because it had, it had kind of that, that Egyptian kind of feel to it. So, For sure. And what I love about that, though, is that it's it's two... Well, I don't know if it's... Isn't, well, no, he isn't playing two different keyboard parts because I've seen him play it live. But it's two pads. So he's, he's got that tone that he has. You know, the, we were talking about the, the initial lead tone that you weren't 
mad keen on you, but you didn't hate. But then there's this other saw wave that he's got underneath it to make it grittier. Mm-hmm. So again, it's just all these little attention to detail pieces that, you know, the top of the tree kind of proggy guys do just to make things interesting. Because you could, again, you could play either one of those tones and that part would be fine. When you combine them in this section, in this, this little breakdown here, it works so well. And I know that you're indulging me here, Corey. I love you for it. And God bless you. That <laughs> there's no need for anyone to talk about this song as long as I have done. But again, there's no surprise when I vote on this or telling my scores on this. But it, we're getting to this section now where we've had this minor key thing with those double uh, synth parts, and now he breaks it out and he's getting it brighter for a very specific reason. Because in a, you know about thirty seconds' time, we're going to break into one of the best pieces of keyboard playing I've ever heard in my life. Uh, but if you go to 633, because I know that you're a drummer, and I know that you love cymbals, I know that you love Phil Collins cymbals, listen to the ride bell work that he does. Super delicate, and it's not overdone. I love that bump, 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 bump. Again, I mean, even on a song like this or a song like, I don't know, Follow You, Follow Me or whatever, you take any song you want out of the Genesis catalogue, Phil Collins is like Ringo. He plays exactly what the song needs. No yeah. more, no less, and plays it fucking perfectly. Let's roll it on. And I'm, like I said, I will preface this by saying it's one of my favourite moments in all of music. Any genre, any era, any band. This is orgasmic to me. All right, doing this show is worth it. it. It was worth it just to watch your face during oh that whole section we just played. I, I can't explain to anyone how much I love that. I, I, gen, I mean, I'll say this, okay. As a young sort of aspiring musician, as I was when I was a, a teenager, and never made anything of it because I wasn't good enough, but and as a keyboard player, this was the this is kind of the, the thing that just made me horny for music and keyboards and, and, and trying to play this. It, everything about this section... It's it sounds really complex, but it's actually really simple. He's just playing. He's just alternating the the two notes he's playing on the bass with his left hand, and it's kind of a little triplet thing on his right hand. And once you get it figured out, which took me a long time, it's not as complex. It's like right now by Van Halen, that piano okay. intro is quite complicated until you find out where the one is. Once you know where the one is, then it gets a bit easier. This is kind of the same thing. But add to that, you get Phil Collins playing this weird syncopated rhythm where he's coming off the one all the time and in between the notes, and then you get Tony Banks playing those kind of really sort of changing sort of chimey guitars. It's just, man, this this makes the whole song for me. Uh, and the drums are a real standout for me. I know oh you like God, keyboards I mean... a lot better than I do. The drums are amazing, but Mike's there too, and he's mm. doing some cool shit, and he's buried uh, underneath the other two instruments, and I wish they just would have brought him, because he, he could have just, just uh, accompanied that so well and he Definitely. does 
it, it's just hard to hear. That's all. That's fair enough. I was going to skip over one. We're going to skip to it. Seven sixteen, because if you listen to that arpeggio that he's playing to lead back into that big, because there's a synth power chord, but he plays this seventh note that again he's not played anywhere else, and it just changes it just a little bit to give us a bit more um, a bit more range in the song. I hadn't even written that down, but listen, that fucking Phil from Phil Collins is totally off time. It's insane how good that is. Fuck me, that's well, it, good. It, it sounded in time to his drums. It was not in time with the keyboards, though. It was kind of weird. It, because he's he's not playing on the on the he's not playing on the one. He's playing the you know one eander, two eander. You know, Scott Haskins talks about this on the Aerosmith podcast. He's playing on the sort of on the end, but he's just behind it. Mm-hmm. And it's like I said, it, that takes god level skill to be able to play like that it's fucking him and it's really like he's not he's only playing i don't know eight he's not kind of playing the triplets or anything but to get the time in that precise in between the notes oh boy well and then to do that tom roll and then still stay oh. on his beat as opposed yeah. to tony's beat is really yeah. fucking cool i've got three more Next. Corey. just just live, okay. just, just stay with me for three more okay Okay. So 7.56, we get one last sort of synthy moment before we head back into that last lyrical portion. And it, it, when he plays it, it almost sounds like, you know when a, when a guitarist uses their volume knob to sort of swell the note back into the, so it's, it's not got the attack? It kind of sounds like that the way he plays it, but it's definitely synth, but it sounds very cool. I almost thought the song was fading out when I first heard it, right? Like, yeah. it's, everything's kind of coming down, but yeah. yeah. Then, then we go back into the next verse. It's really cool. And you know what's cool about that is you could crossfade that, right? You could have Phil still playing his drums and we'll play play out for 30 seconds and then we'll get the drum machine and we'll just crossfade it. It doesn't do that. You've got Phil Collins. I can play those toms delicately enough that we can seamlessly transition back into this next section. That's really fucking good playing, man. Yep. All right, you got two more. What are they? Well, that that was, but I mean, another chance, hello, another goodbye. Again, just <laughs> so evocative, right? I mean, it's I, I don't know, dude. I I'm running out of words for this song, so let's go to nine thirty six because then we start. Then this is sort of the the end of the song and the fade out. I don't know what it is with you Brits in the uh, soap opera days of our lives, but here's another song we can reference. Uh, these are the days of our lives. This song does that too. <laughs> days of life that seem so unimportant seems to matter and account much later on. Yeah. Good line. All right, here's Masterpiece, Corey. What a bummer way to end the Phil Collins era Genesis. Just love that the last word that Phil Collins sang on a Genesis record is remember. 
And it's that callback. Like I said, it's some of this sounds like Duke. Some of this sounds like Domino. There's little phrases and things that he uses that are like super early Genesis. There's stuff that you're on that's like selling England. It's that thing where you do get the sense, and again, we sort of overlay our own sort of interpretation on top of these songs, and they're probably not always accurate, but it's almost like Tony's looking back and maybe he knows that Phil's leaving and that that's the end of it, really. And so he's kind of wrapping all of his thoughts up. And of course, the lyrics, you know, have that nostalgic uh, bent to them. But musically as well, he's got all these little motifs that he throws in that are just, yeah, I don't know. It's so cool. It's, it's, I found a Phil quote uh, from around this time where he said, uh, quote, as long as I'm proud of what Genesis does, that's good enough for me. It's an extraordinary situation. This isn't the last Genesis album as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. So Phil thought they were going on until, uh, uh, you know, Mike wrote his song the big fuck you song way of the world he's like oh fuck that i don't want to hang around with that mumbling idiot anymore i'm, <laughs> I'm out <laughs> it's so funny like i'd never noticed how much mike rutherford mumbles until we started doing this podcast and he really is understand him. he's very he's very oh yeah i know he's uh, you know what before you start your mouth moving your lips moving think about what you're gonna say how about that <laughs> Yeah, watch watch the Come Rain or Shine doc- documentary because you have to have the subtitles on because he talks so fast, so fast. <laughs> he talks so fast and so mumbly, it, it's hard to make him out. <laughs> I love him though. God bless him. Oh, God, God, yeah. I mean, that's the thing, right? We sort of take the piss a little bit. It is with love, folks, because we the reason we're doing this is because we love Genesis. Um, it's been a bit more of a journey for Corey, I know for sure, because there's some songs that you definitely don't know as well as I do. But these three musicians came together for, you know, obviously there was Steve Hackett before and we had different in, different people involved, but really these three were the core of Genesis for a long time. And by God, they gave us, they gave us, a, they gave us more than they took away. Every album on this season, I graded positively, like well above average. Yeah. Uh, even my lowest rated album, which was, uh, and then there were three, I gave a 31 and a half out of 50. Yeah, uh, which is in the sixty percent range, which is still above average. But like uh, a trick of the tail was real uh, awakening for me. Wind and withering, uh, Abacab, which I just bought on vinyl and nice. can't wait to spin. Even though uh, we gave that one a sixty-eight and a half, and I gave it thirty-two point five out of fifty. That's largely because of one particular song, and you know what song I'm totally. talking about. But there's so much good stuff on there, and and Duke is another one that I hadn't really listened to before, and you know we rated that almost seventy-five percent. So uh, I've really really enjoyed this this journey and i love this record i've always loved we can't dance uh, e- even the album tracks are, are well above average to me and uh, we didn't rate a single song on this record below average uh, unlike duke and abacab which had some that yeah. were below average so you know you got the snowman song and you got who done it and god awful <laughs> crap like that th- th- this record didn't have that and i it's just such a perfect way for genesis to go out uh, i i've never listened really to calling all stations i heard congo and and didn't really like it and I'm not really tempted to put it back on uh, for that matter. But to me, th- this was the end of Genesis for me. Yeah. And uh, it, there's no uh, surprise that in 07, when they're walking off the stage, this is the song that's playing, that that's walking them off. Uh, it's just yeah. a perfect coda to a great career uh, and a great record. Kevin, uh, I'm, I could pretty much guess your uh, score on this track, but go ahead and let the folks know what it is. You know what my score is. It's 10, 10, and 5. Okay. It, musically, it's, to me... It's perfection. It's everything I want in Genesis. They kind of rope-a-dope you a little bit with that very gentle, ballad-like intro, uh, and then Tony just proceeds to tear every fucking layer of skin off your face. 
And I could and have listened to this song on loop and I just never get bored with it. Lyrics, as you said, it's, it might be Tony's strongest lyric. There's a couple of others I would sort of put in the same argument. Um, but so we talked, I think, offline maybe about The Green Mile. We were talking about the movie The Green Mile. And this song sort of reminds me, the final scenes in The Green Mile were Paul Edgecombe's really, really old, but he's not, he's not unhappy and he's kind of li- looking back on the life well lived. He's just a bit weary. And so this song is, has the nostalgia that it's expressed in that movie. And the line, you know, still we carry on just pretending there'll always be one more day to go, which kind of throws back to living forever. And you get all these kind of tiebacks, you know. So you, I think the, the line that you said, days of lives that seem so unimportant, they seem to matter and to count much later on. That's a fucking stunning piece of writing. You know, it's that idea that we take things for granted and only later do we realize that they were more important than we thought they were. And Tony was only 41 when he wrote this. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't 60. He wasn't an old man, but he had that ability to sort of look through that lens. So 10 on, on lyrics and five on production. I mean, again, we talked about there's nothing really wrong with way the world. Oh, sorry, no, um, since I lost you for me, the production on that isn't the absolute best. Everything else in this record is fantastic. You can hear everything. There's probably about, what, 12 different parts of this song, especially in the solo, but you can hear everything. None of it feels like glued together. It all feels organic, like it was meant to be played that way. And just overall, I think it's... Well, I'll tell you this, Corey. This is one of... Well, this is my favorite Genesis song. And it's probably in my top three favorite songs of all time by anyone. Which I know is wow. going to be very surprising for you, but this this song I just I adore it on every level. As a, as a as a keyboard player, to me it was like I just can't believe that this guy wrote this fucking piece of music. It's exceptional. So that's what I'm ten ten and five. I will hear no argument against. Let's just move on to the um, the album uh, the the overall scores. Well, I suppose no. I should let you. I should let you give you your scores. You know what? Nine, for the nine, sake of seven? our friendship, for the sake of our friendship, we should just wrap it up there. No, no. Honestly, I, I would love to because I know that I, my guess is this is going to be. It's a bit longer than it needs to be, but uh, musically, I gave it a two. <laughs> no, uh, musically, uh, I gave it an eight point five. Very, very good. Yeah. Uh, drums sound incredible. Uh, keyboards sound incredible. There's that one tone at the beginning of that instrumental section that kind of like, ooh, that's kind of wonky. Right. That you know just kind of took me out a little bit. And just bring the guitars up just a little bit more. Yeah. The, you know, Genesis is a three-piece. And I love that Phil is right in there, and Tony's right in there, and Tony's playing the hell out of it, and so is Phil. Mike is, too. You just can't hear it as well. Yeah. And there's some great guitars on this record. So I had to dock it a little bit for that. Uh, lyrically, I gave it a nine. Uh, it's maybe my favorite Tony lyric, I think, of all time. Uh, th- this entire record, uh, out of his in, uh, entire song. Uh, yeah. I-, I can't even really pick out a clunker. Um, maybe just too many references to Days of Our Lives, which is not my favorite soap opera. I'm a young and the restless <laughs> kind of guy. Uh, but a nine for that. Uh, and four uh, for production, just because it's a tad long. Uh, uh, my, my one comment, and I told you before we even hit record, was it's a bit self-indulgent in the middle. But, I mean, that's Genesis. It, it has to be because that's Genesis. Yeah, I mean, so yeah. e- even though I'm not, I'm not going to give it perfect because it is, little long in the middle there it's exactly what i would expect from this band and what i really dig about this band so it, it didn't quite reach the heights for me i still consider domino their best long song right. uh, ju- just for me but man there is nothing wrong at all with fading lights it's a beautiful beautiful song 
and I couldn't think of a perfect way uh, for a band to go out. I'm so glad they kind of resisted the urge to record another record together or even just do a one-off song here or there. Just just yeah. let it go on this. It's a great way to go out and, and really a, a pretty great record. Uh, when, when I think about a side D uh, of this album, I gave it an eight, eight, and four. Eight for music, eight for lyrics, uh, four for production to give me an even 20. Uh, really, really damn good score. Uh, what were your thoughts on uh, side D of We Can't Dance? I was exactly a half point less on every category. So 7.5, 7.5, 3.5 for 18.5. But my caveat, if I was just ranking, and this is something we haven't talked about, Corey, what we're doing here is we're sort of rating each song and then averaging that out. That's I think you know that's what both of us are doing. But sometimes the whole is better than the sum of the parts, right? Yeah. And I think that I would rate this side of this album a 10 purely because Fading Lights is on it. You could put fucking Snowbound and Who Done It on this side of this record. It still might be a ten for me because Fading Lights would just make it all better. So yeah, so eighteen point five is my overall rating for side four or side D. All right. So what does that give you uh, for a grand total for We Can't Dance? <sighs> I don't know. So my <laughs> my my <laughs> you don't know. Well, this isn't a surprise. We. <laughs> Write it down, but I've you know. So side one <laughs> slash two, side A and B is twenty one, and side C and side D is eighteen on average. So what's that? Thirty nine. Yeah, thirty nine, I guess. All right. So you're at thirty nine. Uh, I'm at uh, thirty seven point five. Man, that's Which fucking lower than I thought it was going to be. Well, it gives us a seventy six point five for for we can't dance. Yeah. Oh yeah, wow. that's it. Wow. You know what? I guess. There's, there really is some filler on this album, you know? I mean, and you know, I, I think Side C especially maybe yeah. brought it down because we were talking heading into uh, Side C, we are at 80%, so we did drop a few percentage points uh, yeah. after Side C. So, so yeah, No Son of Mine, Jesus, He Knows Me, Driving the Last Spike, fucking great songs. I Can't Dance, we disagreed on Dreaming, like, Dreaming While You Sleep, but you even said that like musically it was a good song, Never a Time, I think it was a mid one for us. So yep. the first two sides are pretty goddamn strong, but then tell me why, holding my heart, I love Live Forever, you didn't, Weigh the World Since I Lost You, yeah, there's some stuff on here that, on average, I think the highs on this album are really high, and then mm-hmm. the lows are, there's that discrepancy between the peaks, right, and the troughs, right, so. Yep. Ironically, I'm a half point higher on side C and D than I was on E and B, and I think largely because of Dreaming wow. While You Sleep. Yeah. Wow. I was 19 and a half on A and B and 20 on C and D. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Yeah. You know what? Those still 70 something. I mean, 76.5. It is the third highest rated record in the Genesis catalog. If we, uh, from top to bottom, the highest rated record to the surprise of no one, Invisible Touch, 87.5%. Next up was Genesis, the self-titled record, 83.5. Then came We Can't Dance at 76.5. And then Duke at 74.5, Trick of the Tail at 73.5, Wind and Withering at 72, uh, Abacab at 68.5, and and then there were three, 65.5%. And it's funny because we're going to talk about this on the season wrap episode, but I still, I, I think, I think Duke is probably the best album out of all of those, <laughs> just as an album, as a piece, right? And that's what we're doing. The Ultimate Catalog Cash is talking about albums. And it's something maybe we'll tweak along the way and we'll talk about maybe what we do, Corey, is we say, okay, these are this is how we've rated the songs, but how do I rate this side of this album overall? Because what we don't what we haven't done, we haven't talked about flow. 
really. We haven't talked about sequencing, about sort of how the, how the songs mesh together. So maybe we'll start taking that into account. I don't know. We'll, we'll see how it develops. But you know what? We've wrapped up Genesis. Holy shit. That dinner, yeah. That means we got to call Scott Haskin. Uh, get him off the strip. He's probably naked right now on the Las Vegas Strip somewhere. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, well, he's probably trying to have sex with whatever's being projected onto the... Uh, what's that thing called? Not the eyeball. The sphere? The sphere, the sphere. that's the thing. That's right. <laughs> the eyeball. <laughs> well, sometimes they put an eyeball on the sphere, so that makes sense. Oh, God, I'm just... Now, I've, now I can't get in my head the, the image of Scott Askin trying to have sex with an eyeball. A massive, like a really massive big one. I can't get over the image of Scott Haskin having sex. <laughs> well, I mean, chance would be a fine thing from what he's told us. So, you know, <laughs> actually, you know what, take that out. That was, that was way fucking below the belt last time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we got one piece of business left to go here. Yes. Uh, Kevin Brown, and that's to play the game you invented called And Then There Were Three. We actually, uh, we're going to take Genesis and uh, their monthly Spotify listeners, and we're going to uh, pick two other bands. Uh, and we're going to see if Kevin can rank uh, how he thinks uh, these three bands shake out in terms of monthly listeners from top to bottom, from highest to lowest. Uh, so last week you went with punk bands to contrast with Genesis, which was pretty cool. I got them all right, of, of course, because I usually do. <laughs> uh, I went a little different. I actually picked uh, two bands I'm seriously considering picking for season two if, in fact, I win uh, the Ultimate Catalog Clash season one. So your three bands for tonight are, of course, Genesis. Then Huey Lewis and the News and The Cars. Rank those three songs from highest to lowest in terms of Spotify oh listeners. Oh my God. I bet you these are like within about a million of each other. You son of a bitch. This is good. Oh man. <laughs> okay. So Genesis, well, we did it last week and I think they were around about 7 million. Mm -hmm. I think The Cars are going to be higher slightly. I don't know why I think that. But I think, you know, Just What I Needed and Drive. I you think, might think, think yeah. They're going to get songs. They're big songs. So I'm going to go. And I think Huey Lewis is just sort of massively underappreciated artist, by the way, and songwriter and vocalist. So I'm going to go Cars, Genesis, Huey Lewis. All right. You're close. You got Huey Fuck, Lewis I'm right. again. God damn it. <laughs> Huey Lewis was third, uh, just over 5 million Spotify listeners. Uh, the cars come in at 6.1 million listeners. Wow. So Genesis is actually first at 6.993 million listeners. It's criminal on all counts that those are so low. Yep. Pretty good bands, I think. The, I mean, the cars. We, we should, how many albums do the cars have? Uh, not a ton, actually. That, that, that's why I was kind of considering them. That'd be a great, yeah, that'd be a great. Not the cards, sort of thing. Look at the discography. They have uh, seven. Oh, yeah, we could totally do the cars. Yep. And also, that, so se that includes their, their, seven. Sorry. And then they're a, they, they have a, an album in 2011, move yeah. like this. So that was the one they did after, well, after Benjamin Orr died, they didn't uh, do yeah. another one. Uh, so, but I, I haven't heard anything from that record. No, me neither. Uh, so I th thought, you know, that'd be kind of a cool one to do. Oh, fuck, man. Candio and the cars are, Jesus Christ, they're good records. Oh, Heartbeat City is a classic, Heartbeat four City times platinum. record, yeah. yeah. And you know the other thing about the cars is their album covers were always fucking amazing. Oh yeah, even their greatest hits. Yeah, uh, which <laughs> came out in '85. It was it's one of my favorite greatest hits of all times because like every song's a, a banger on it, and because it had little elements from all the other uh, uh, covers on it. Yeah, but 
we, I was thinking about this today because I was listening to Abba Gold. Like, best greatest hits package. Like, Queen's up there for sure because that's just an in, insane greatest hits. Mm-hmm. Petty's greatest hits is fantastic. The Cars greatest hits? Man, it's up there. Who's the other band I was listening to, too? Um, oh, uh, Dream Police. Who sang Dream Police? Uh, Cheap Trick. Cheap Trick. Their greatest hits? That's a banger. Oh, it's pretty fucking good. But here's uh, the 85 greatest hits for the car side. Just what I needed. Since you're gone, you might think. Good times roll. Touch and go. Drive. And then side B was tonight she comes. My best friend's girl. Heartbeat city. Let's go. I'm not the one. Magic and shake it up. Wow. Holy shit. Yeah, there's no <laughs> fat on that fucker, is there? Not wow. at all. No. Wow. Cool. Yeah, I've written down, like, I've got about five that i've kind of narrowed it down so what i'm gonna yeah i'm gonna narrow well if if i win i'm not gonna fucking win but if i if i did win well when i win i'm gonna give you three i'm gonna let you choose of the three because i think that's the best way to do it one 22 23 i have 23 possibles <laughs> oh i've got oh no i've got i've got a short list but my short short list is down to five like the immediate ones a- that i think that these are the ones we got to do so yeah Oh, God. I have no idea. I, I was going to give you kind of the same thing, like, you know, pick a number, but fuck, that'd be a good no idea. Yeah, that'd be a good idea. Yeah, we I could have do envelopes. so many good ones We here. could do envelopes. We could actually write them down and put them in envelopes and reveal. That'd be kind of a neat thing to do, yeah. Yeah. I like that. We have to do that because, uh, like I said, I have, I have 23. Uh, there's so many great, great artists we can do on the Ultimate Catalog Clash, yeah, and a lot of them, you know, are, are multiples. Like, I'm thinking, okay, if we ever do Metallica... Uh, we we got to split that into three. We have like you know eighties, nineties, and two thousands Metallica. Okay. You know if we ever if we ever did the Beatles, you know you can do the first six records and the last six records. If you do ACDC, you got Bon whoa, Scott whoa, whoa, and Brian Johnson. Whoa, 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 whoa! What do you mean the first six and the last six records? They didn't. If we're doing the Beatles, I'm going to be an absolute oh. dick about this. We are doing the Canon releases, which are the UK releases. <laughs> okay, then how many are there? I think it's it's either eight or nine. Oh, I think it's got to be it's more not than that many. Internet. No, no it's not. No. Oh, 13? Fucking hell, really? So there's only oh, one different. Oh, right. well, fair enough. Well, Past Masters is a compilation, so that doesn't count. You know, yeah, what, you it is? You know what it is? I never count Ye- Ye- Yellow Submarine. I always think of oh. that as a, as a soundtrack album. But soundtrack? It, it is an album, but anyway. Yeah. Yep. Okay, well, that's Genesis. Phil Collins here, Genesis is done, Corey. Um, season one of the Ultimate Catalog Clash is almost in the books. We've got one more episode to go where we are joined by Scott Askin, and we'll talk about what we thought about the discography, the highs and lows. Maybe we'll pick sort of a, a best of. We'll maybe make a Greatest Hits compilation. Um, but for now, thanks for listening, folks. Um, join us again next week when we look at, well, Scott Askin on Zoom. That's what we'll be looking at. Um, come check us out on social media at Ultimate Catalog Clash on Facebook and You Catalog Clash on Twitter. Uh, check out my other shows, The Tom Petty Project and Seaside Pod Review. If you want to find me on Twitter, you can find me at, at Kev Brown Canada. Corey? Where can everyone find you, and what have you got going on? You can catch me on my other shows and the podcast Little Rock and Backtracks Aerosmith Revisited, and if you want to yell at me online, please don't. But if you want to uh, <laughs> tell me something nice, it's at CD Marset on Twitter. Don't give my friend Corey any shit, or I'll fucking hunt you down and kill all... No, I was going to say something awful then, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Just leave Corey alone, come and shout at me, or you know what, even go shout at Mark the Bat on Twitter. Mark Kamara yes. loves people loves shouting it. at him, and he will shout. He loves back. it. So you go, go shout at Mark. So you know, until next week when we're going to have the, uh, just an absolute howl of a time. Be nice to each other, chill out, and listen to some Genesis. <laughs>